0: Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford. And today, my lovely co host is pop culture critic Dumpster Raccoon.
1: Oh, Anthony Oliveira! Hey, Ian, how's it going? Hi, Anthony.
0: Did I leave a part off of your intro? I feel like I
1: did. I. Who cares? No, everyone knows who I am. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, and you have assembled, I feel like, the biggest guns in Buffy criticism ever. I feel like, like that episode where Buffy like pulls out a bazooka to deal with the judge. <laughs> this poor episode does not know what's coming for it. Uh, first, we have critic for the New Yorker and author of "I Like to Watch," arguing my way through the TV revolution.
0: Emily Nussbaum.
1: <laughs> Welcome, Emily.
0: Emily, this is, I forgot to tell you, this is your third episode, so you're officially a Scooby.
2: Oh, Yay! I'm very excited.
1: <laughs> and on top of that, we also have singer, songwriter, and host of Buffering the Vampire Slayer.
3: Jenny Owen Youngs, hello. Hi.
1: Uh, Jenny, uh, you were the soundtrack for my university years. You were uh, um, Hot In Here was like my, one of my top ten played songs way back when. Good gravy. Uh, so lovely to meet you.
0: <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> that it's funny that you mentioned that anthony because i just i'm like really big on covers uh especially like the one you have done jenny um and i went to like a spotify playlist to like look up new covers and jenny i had i don't think i put two and two together because like i didn't know you when i listened to hot near and then i was like oh shit <laughs> so i just recently put those things together and it's uh, funny that anthony brought them up
3: the ghost of jenny and nelly's past uh <laughs> has emerged to haunt you in the now
0: <laughs> love it
1: and of course also like the the host of one of well i mean let's call it the uh distinguished competition buffering the vampire <laughs> slayer
3: uh this is not a race <laughs> this is a um what's the non-gendered what's the non-gendered word for uh fraternity or sorority or a uh, siblinghood this is a siblinghood
0: is is there a non-gendered is that what it is ah. well now <laughs> we have one like there great. you go Ta-da. Wait, do I, I give a Pulitzer for that? <laughs> God. <laughs> so, oh, so I'll tell the... Jenny, was it you that I talked to in Buffering that I DM'd with that screenshot of that tweet? Wait. Or was it Kristen? I there, think I'm
3: listening Kristen.
0: So there was like... Um, I tweeted how ever since we started the podcast when it was just me and Matthew, there has been one account that has consistently left negative reviews since our first episode. And I don't know why they still listen. But like six seasons in, they're still like every they have like every platform and they're always leaving negative comments
3: oh my god why
0: right and i tweeted about that and someone replied saying is it buffering is there a rivalry (laughs) there needs to be and i was like oh my god no 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 (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
3: yeah i created a a burner account uh just so i could harass you from across the internet
1: (laughs) buffering does not uh spoil that's right yes and you folks are not yet here You have not yet reached this episode. Uh,
3: We have not.
1: So uh, we're getting a preview of what Buffering is going to say about this episode.
3: Yeah, this is good (laughs) uh, practice, good opportunity for me to get my thoughts in order, especially (laughs) because like Riley hasn't even left yet. You know, we're still at the beginning of season five. So there's a lot of processing that's going to need to happen.
1: I was just actually listening to your episode on the initiative right before this, because I wanted to get a sense of where you were with Riley. Uh, before uh, we jumped in, um, I love the theme song he has.
3: <laughs> oh, okay. That's actually, that comes from Kristen's side of the podcast. I'm the half of the pod that um, my, my, my basic position on Riley is just that um, everyone shits on him incessantly and without reserve or consideration when his greatest crime is just being a relatively normal guy who's trying to be a good boyfriend and trying, like, aspiring to greater emotional intelligence and, like, being aware of his jealousy when it crops up oh. and trying to work with it and trying to support his girlfriend who is physically stronger than him, who, like, you have to imagine would, uh, that, like, could challenge a, a big, tall, broad-shouldered, butterscotch-colored <laughs> hunk of man. I sense <laughs> there are other motives in
2: your defense of Riley, which I share. <laughs> well i I
3: couldn't possibly imagine what you mean
0: (laughs) i was gonna ask you emily because i mean you've been on since season five with us but you weren't on for a riley episode so what is your take on riley at least pre this episode
2: historically i've been a big fan of riley and have frequently defended him online i used to call him corn boy (laughs) and i was
4: (laughs) early on when the
2: show was actually on i was in a i was in an online discussion place on echo the online service Echo, and I remember I was the big Riley defender, and I had much the same feeling about it. I I was like, you know, this is an interesting relationship, and he is a very unusual character for the show, which has a lot of these angry nerds and bad boys and sort of screwed up neurotic people who are also kind of kinky, and he's a very vanilla, straightforward person who is much more normcore and is genuinely trying to be intimate. I mean, I'm really fascinated by aspects of the Riley story. Like I love the two-parter where she and Faith switch bodies and Mm. completely freaked out by Riley's sexuality simply because he literally wants to make eye contact. And it's like a complicated, ironic treatment of his attractiveness and his sexuality and how destabilizing it is. And it, you know, it has kind of multiple aspects. So I've generally been team Riley. I was very surprised when I watched this episode to find that I'd actually changed my mind about him a bit. in the episode, Oh, shit. Which I, I, I'd i always remembered this as an episode where people were down on Riley, and I felt like they didn't get it, and it was really fine. But actually, when I rewatched it, I, I had a lot of negative feelings. So I'm curious. Hmm. you guys.
1: Oh, that's fun. I'm excited huh. to hear about that. So <laughs> today we're is- here to- Oh, sorry.
0: No, it's okay. So today we're here to discuss the Season 6 episode, As You Were, which is... Riley Finn's last and final episode in Buffy. Although he does come back in the comics, but, you know. Yeah, uh, Anthony, I'm sorry I interrupted you earlier. Oh,
1: I was just going to say today is like the Riley summit, right? Because this is his last appearance, so we kind of, his story is now told and we have to decide what it meant and how we feel about it and uh, whether we like how it ends uh, we do need to hear, this is Jenny's first time, so we do need to hear her Buffy origin story. Is that not correct? That is correct. <laughs>
0: um, Look at me my point. I know I in my mind we already went over that. I totally for even though I made a big <laughs> deal about how excited I was to hear it, I forgot. <laughs> Jenny, would you like to tell us your Buffy origin?
3: I can provide it. I was a kid and I went to the the video rental store uh, and children listening. Um, a video rental store is like a physical manifestation of Netflix where you actually walk inside and then there are little plastic rectangles that contain all of your Netflix stories. And you would like pick one. You could only pick one or two or however many were in your budget. And then you would take it home and watch it. And I remember like rolling up on the new releases and seeing the the cover for the film, um, for the Buffy film. And I was like, what? This is? this is ridiculous. That girl's named Buffy. She can't fight vampires. She's a cheerleader. Uh, Cause I was like, you know, 10 or something. Um, And I rented it and, and watched it and like loved it, had like a total blast and then like, didn't think about it again until the show came out. Uh, At which point I was like, like theoretically on board because I was like, yes, more, more primetime vampires. That sounds great. Uh, but who is this girl who isn't Christy Swanson? I started watching the show, and of course, like she's uh, so much better. <laughs> I don't know if that's a controversial. Hopefully, that's not a controversial I mean, opinion on this podcast. Well, but I was like,
1: about, no, you're not on this podcast. I think the whole world <laughs> has now, the sane world, has turned on Christy Swanson. Yes, Christy. beautiful, good, good. good.
3: <laughs> um, so I watched kind of maybe like the first season or like the first season and a half or something, um, and then I kind of like. Uh, had other interests that conflicted like high it was just in high school and and stuff was changing and i kind of just like fell away from it and got back into it in college and then just like ripped through the whole season that i borrowed from a friend who was like you have to watch this it's essential uh and since then i have watched it uh over and over again many times (laughs) and then i made kristen make a podcast and then we made uh ian come talk to us and now here i am
0: (laughs) hey you didn't make me do anything i (laughs) i will say i i'm as i told both of you i was terrified that i was going to spoil something for their audience (sighs) because it was like a huge crowd sold out crowd and i'm like oh my god the the one thing i can't do is spoil buffy for this crowd and that's probably going to be the thing i do (laughs)
3: no (laughs) You you were perfect
1: can I ask, do you have people who are like religiously following along, but who are staying on pace with you? Like they're not rushing ahead. Oh
3: yes. Isn't that wild? That
1: is so fascinating that's, to that's me. That's that's actually, beautiful. somebody...
3: Literally, really <laughs> nice. I'm so sorry. I keep trying to scream
4: <laughs> at everybody. <laughs> um,
3: it is. It's like so sweet. We have like a lot of parents who are like, you know, maybe like my age or a little bit older. Uh, who are watching with their kids for the first time and so like the parents have seen it before and they love the show but the kids are watching for the first time and like they get to like experience their kids experiencing it can, for the can first i ask time. you something
2: how old are their kids because i'm about to do that with my older kid i was waiting because i do f- to me it depends on the kid obviously but my older my older son is a uh, is 14 he's about to turn 14 that felt like a good age really didn't work oh yeah for a lot of different reasons including that they don't really like scary stuff um how old are the kids Mm -hmm. that are watching it with their parents
3: i think like we've talked to a lot of parents at this point and we've been kind of uh polling for the Mm -hmm. the age that they've found has worked and um the the average seems to be about 12. That seems to be like a That's good, good. That's
2: spot. That's good to know because I'm, I'm watching Freaks and Geeks with them right now. And I, I, think, I think right after oh. that. And they're really into that. Um, but I figured then I'd get into Buffy. So,
1: For what it's worth, I was 13 when I started watching Buffy. But then, I mean, then I ended up like this. So... <laughs> 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 Although the other thing, Uh, there was the controlling factor of, like, it took seven years to get to season six, right? Whereas season six does feel a little more adult, so I don't know.
0: Right, Uh, that would only, I feel, I mean, I'm sure that's what you feel, too, Emily, but I'm sure season six would be, like, a big point of, like, right?
2: It's also, you know, what they'll be interested in. I mean, they, Jane the Virgin's their favorite show, so, like, they watch shows that have sexual stuff in them, but the stuff that enters in in season six is 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 much darker and involves so much more violence and stuff it goes beyond the gothicness of it into a different kind of thing about addiction and sexual assault and all that kind of stuff but although sexual assault is a huge part of the show all along it's just on a different level um anyway that's neither that's not part of this episode
0: (laughs) (laughs) you're getting ahead of yourself to the episode i'm really not looking forward to talking about. yeah, so this episode is Riley's final episode. We don't get him right away, which was a thing I forgot when I rewatched the episode. I thought the first scene was him coming into the restaurant or coming into Double Meat Palace, if you want to even call it a restaurant. I I always remembered that as like the first beat of the episode and her being like, "Huh," when she sees him, and that. But
3: now they've got to the... bring her so low, first. <laughs> <Yes>. like as <laughs> low <laughs> as, <laughs> as <laughs> possible. Is,
2: is such a bummer. I I sort of had forgotten how much of this season is about her not just simply being depressed but kind of her most pathetic self like with a squeaky voice constant anxious upspeak yeah. it's pretty hard to watch i actually realized i I'd, I'd forgotten there, there's a scene early in the episode that i had literally misremembered the i mean i don't know if i'm jumping ahead too much but the scene where she i don't, I don't know how you want to do this but i literally remember i literally thought as i was watching it that the scene where she has sex with spike at the tree I remember that as a graphic scene, like I remembered them having sex against the tree, and there being a close up of her face looking like alienated and bored. And when I watched it, I was like, "Oh, this is not graphic at all." I literally had made up a more explicit of <laughs> scene, which I remember sort of feeling a little shocked by. But maybe I just sort of added it on or something. I was I was actually surprised at how mild the scene was. They just disappear behind the tree screen. I was like, "What kind of pervert am I'm- I?" I made up a. <laughs>
1: i don't know i do think that a lot of their sex scenes end up being quite samey so it's very possible you substituted in one of the later ones or one of the earlier I, ones i <laughs> actually
0: think you might be thinking of anthony because we just talked about this episode of double meat palace oh that's right they have like a weird up against the back of the wall behind Meet meat meat palace sex i scene. i
2: subbed it in but i somehow i combined the two of them together Either way, like, it's just, it's really hard to see all of the interactions early on in this episode, like, until Riley shows up, so.
0: Right, it's like, oh, this shitty dude is talking down to her at the fucking fryer, and is like, oh, I forgot you dropped out of college, and she's just like, thanks, I'm reapplying, like,
1: that guy has a Twitter account and he tweets at me every day now. I feel like, you know, like that person, I feel like this episode was prescient in that that person has sort of inherited the world since then. And I was like running everything. That guy voted for Trump. Like,
0: I was going to say that's the person in all three of your mentions. <laughs> <That's> <laughs>
1: odd.
3: I just like it really, really, I guess, because I'm like watching, I'm doing like my full season five watch now, like to get ahead for our season and just watch the episode where uh, Buffy and Giles call on the council to like help figure out what exactly is going on with Glory and they come across the ocean and they make everybody feel like shit and then finally Buffy is like oh wait right I have the power I'm gonna like lay down the law now and she's like okay cool so you guys are gonna reinstate Giles Mm -hmm. as my watcher and you're gonna pay him oh retroactively from the day that he was fired and also like the, how huge is the council that like there are just like endless houndstooth ensconced English <laughs> people running around being academic, but not one of them and also not Buffy herself has thought to say like, also, Buffy could get a salary. Right,
1: yeah. There doesn't seem to be, like, it seems like if you were running the Watcher's Council, the first thing would be, like, the Slayer grant, right? Like, here's your 50000 <laughs> <Yeah>. a year. <laughs> so that
3: you don't have to work at Double Meat Palace. Exactly. It's it's just good business. And also, honest to God, how old is Buffy in this? She like 21. 19,
0: I think, or 20, yeah.
3: Like, under what circumstances?
2: Seriously, her mom died. Like, I just think even, I just found myself thinking, I know Xander's family is of of no use whatsoever, but I'm like, wouldn't somebody step in to offer one sort of, infrastructure or support. System? it seems like right it's it.
1: doubly weird because we've seen social services actively demonized in previous episodes like that's that social worker was like maybe this is not ideal for either of you they like convinced her she was insane and like was yeah. going to murder people it's like and then, I, I mean, every time something like this comes up, I just assume it's that I'm Canadian and these people are American and that's just how America <laughs> is. But... you show off.
2: <laughs> it's, it's, it's nice that Canadians can still have smugness.
1: Yeah. Oh, we're, I mean, we're embattled, but we're yeah. pushing through.
2: <laughs> <laughs> True that you know, you just sort of have to accept it at this point in the season where you're like, they want Buffy to yeah. have absolutely no support and literally to be a single mom who is depressed and yeah. in a terrible you know involvement like it's, it's just like they, it's it's just like you literally can hear people going raise the stakes raise the stakes even if it doesn't make any sense
4: so
1: yeah and by the same token mm-hmm. like the beat plot in this episode is two children getting married right like yeah. xander's to her age too and it's like time to get oh married God. like we really did there was one season of college stories but in some weird ways we're supposed to assume that they are now post-college in a lot of ways it's actually
2: kind of interesting on a class level because at this point buffy is working at a at a you know Xander's a working class blue collar guy and buffy is working at a fast food restaurant and the previous iteration of the show was all very middle class upper middle class and there it was like a sort of default that they were all going to go to college and then Xander didn't it just felt like that like it felt like a different kind of show and they don't really bring money into it in a meaningful way, but there is this odd sense of them all sort of slipping under the this, this circumstances of being able to support themselves, which is just not present earlier.
0: And, you know, and it's funny because I always defend, pri- prior to the podcast, I had always defended season six and all the characters, but watching it again, I'm like, well, what is Willow doing? She lives there, and she's the same age as Buffy. <laughs> like... <laughs> I just, like, when they sit down and have that talk with Buffy, shouldn't it have been Buffy and Willow since they both live in that house? Like, what are we going to do, not what are you going to do?
2: I actually really do love a lot of season six, and I feel like it's a very ambitious season. But it is definitely a season where you kind of feel like somebody could have just done that basic TV creation thing where you go, could you just address this very obvious problem? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, that that first arc of it before he arrives, is just i i don't know you guys have been rewatching it but i i felt like it was lower than i even remember season six
1: and hitting some very specific like the double uh, we talked we talked in a previous episode about how double meat palace is actually one of my favorite episodes because it's sort of about the existential crisis of like working in Mm. fast food but here double meat is sort of just one of the many indignities buffy's life is suffering like the horrible scene where that vampire is like, you know what? I'm good. <laughs> like, like she is she has sunk beneath his notice. I didn't remember. Like I was literally watching. I was like, at least her jacket is nice. And then her jacket gets wrecked by her like right. unenthusiastic sex with spike. Like they're both like, uh, I don't really want to do this. And then it's like, they do anyway. It's Like even Dawn not being into her sandwich. Cause it's kind of smushed. Like the indignity of like hauling that home and having her be like, no, thank you. Um, it just hits. It's, I mean, I I too feel like as I've gotten older season six feels I it has aged with me and it's like oh I know this feeling and that feeling of being at your lowest point and then running into your ex oh. is certainly one I am familiar oh, with Yeah.
0: yeah it's <laughs> I do feel like this first act it's just like oh god can she get a break but I mean that's for me been the whole middle of season six has been this one after another I mean there's just so much of like i'm like i just want her to have a nice day let's have an episode where like she has a nice day at work she comes home her and dawn watch a movie and eat snacks no one fights like uh um yeah so then we get dawn and willow are going out they want to invite her she doesn't want to go because she's had a rough time
2: by the way can i ask something how old is dawn in this
0: I know that's I think almost in every episode this season that's been a like discussion I, I, I know discussion. we're
2: turning it into a podcast where it's like the most annoying way to respond to detail. <laughs> but you know when I was watching this, I haven't watched the show in a little while and you guys
3: watch it regularly. I was like, wait, they all go to a bar all the time with <laughs> right. Well, they've been going to that bar since the beginning of the show. It's just like some That's like a nightclub. <laughs> <laughs> that rare all ages nightclub.
1: <laughs> to be fair it has gotten like less and less cool with every season like yeah. i think at this point it does not seem like a space that i'm interested in hanging out in they're like drinking out of red solo cups like
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> anyways yeah, they want to go out to- they want to go out and buffy is just like no i will not
0: do anything and she also says is it th- yeah it is that scene where she says like willow mentions the grass mm-hmm. stain and she's like well he's getting rougher and rougher and they're like he She's like, I mean, vampires.
2: (laughs) But then she goes, well, he's not getting any gentler. Yeah, like, (laughs) interestingly graphic dynamic in that whole...
3: I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't acknowledge that that tree that they fuck against is on their front lawn, and there are, like, exterior lights. Just because you like move to the side that doesn't face the wi- the window that Dawn might walk up to doesn't mean you're being discreet. I know,
2: it's crazy. But although it seems like they probably did it on the ground because she got green grass on her. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Good continuity that they actually showed it a little bit later. Like she's going out the door. You're like, yeah, there's a big smear on the back of her. Oh, God. Of her
1: thing (laughs) on her beautiful yellow toggle jacket
0: i feel like at that point it would have been easier to be like just come inside like you go to my room i'll go dr don and then we can have sex like god god we're (laughs) such nerds like (laughs) i know i know i just went i just went to like jokingly push up my glasses (laughs) like (laughs) i'm like sex on the grass oh no thank you (laughs) but really no thank you Uh, yeah so then Buffy falls asleep on the couch she wakes up she misses Ugh. the trash she says my favorite
1: way. line don't you want your garbage okay. which I feel like is a great summary of the episode oh right? <laughs> <laughs> <Don't you? laughs> um, she gets rejected right? right she can't go back um, to, to Sunnydale. How, yeah. how
2: how how that's that a huge bummer, but that seemed realistic to me because she was a real shitty student. <laughs> like even
4: before, yeah. Well, I actually
1: terrible. paused it and it does provide an explanation. It says that she had to reapply by January twenty fifth. Uh. So she missed the deadline. Oh, oh good looking out. <laughs> <laughs> and that is also very realistic. University would be like, oh too bad. Like oh God.
0: Ugh. Um Yeah, so but <laughs> And I like that it's like, we we just had her saying to that coworker, well, I'm reapplying to college, and he's like, mm, good for you. And then she does it, like, immediately like, the next day doesn't get in and it's like, god oh, fucking yeah. damn it. So then what? Oh, then she she doesn't, she like, forgets that it's time for Dawn to go to school and Dawn's leaving, because she's like, where are you going? Buffy is like, peak frazzled single mom.
2: But she also but she also really I mean I know the whole season is about depression in a lot of ways, but at that point I also was like, she seems clinically depressed. <laughs> like
4: yeah uh, like, yes. she needs
2: help. She's you know and right, right in the nick of time her ex-boyfriend arrives. <laughs> yeah. Just for fun.
1: <laughs> Looking like a snack. Yeah. Looking great. Uh love the scar. Love the Yes. love the finally finally a nice military outfit for him instead of that like hunter green thing they were always wearing
2: when he when he first appeared and they say uh those are good arms to have i was was like oh yeah
0: (laughs) well it's funny because when we had james marsters on he said that like when he knew he was going to be shirtless and like have a relationship with buffy he like told them you need to give me enough time so i can work out like crazy because he said that with mark blutus they just were like one day, oh, this scene, you're going to have your shirt off. And he, like, was self-conscious because he didn't, like, have time to work out a lot. I mean, the man still looks good, right? Like, but, yeah. But here, I would think, I i thought you guys were going to make fun of me because, for me, this is, like, the hottest he looks and the scar just really works for me. I don't know. I'm a I mean, cliche. <laughs> I,
2: think, I think he looks really good. Although, actually, I, I think James Marsters is so good in this episode. I mean, I have mixed feelings about the episode as a whole, but I thought that his performance as Spike in the scenes with him just sparks the whole thing. So I actually found my, all my sympathies were shifting just because I thought his acting was so good. And he did seem really attractive to me. And I was so much more irritated at Riley's behavior that I remembered. And even though I agree with you, he looks great, but, but, but he's, he, he truly does something so shitty within the, the early part. You know, it's ridiculous that he doesn't tell her the two obvious things that he should tell her and he has plenty of time to tell her it's ridiculous that he doesn't tell her a that he's married and b what they're actually trying to do Oh right. <laughs> right.
3: He didn't He he says so many times that he'll fill her in when, if they ever get a second, that he could have told her all the important information. Said <laughs> yeah. Said that,
2: that, all the times you said that together, there you yeah. have
1: Including their heretofore, their like commute to the heretofore unseen Sunnydale Dan, yeah. right? Like, uh, like, yeah.
0: <laughs> expanding the world. Of, just the, we have like, and we get a scene of them driving, which I do like that scene. But none of this, that that was maybe my biggest, like, issue with the episode is that for the, like, Riley coming to town and it being an emergency, for all that to work, we needed, like, that monster never felt like anything more than your typical Buffy monster, yeah, right?
2: I, I know that. I think like, the writers used to call that the phlebotonum or whatever, where they would just mm-hmm. come up with the monster to fit the need. And I was like, you know, whereas other monsters this season are great, <laughs> like the penis monster in Double V <laughs> This one <laughs> It's a thing and it makes
3: eggs. Like, I was like could you be a little more? Yeah. Anyway.
1: It looks and moves like a Power Ranger. Oh my Ranger god, stone. yes. Like it
3: uh-huh. that has been killing me and that is exactly what it is.
1: <laughs> like I yeah. to the point where I was like, was this one of the Power Rangers suits <laughs> that they like I had something about the fighting and I don't know. Like it's the shape just...
3: of the arms, how they kind of like taper. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: like it's up that all the pig monster yeah. or something i'm not sure but <laughs> um but yeah it doesn't have a hook like it's gonna lay eggs the doctor is like spectacularly under imagined uh-huh. as, a, as a code name like i do like the way spike uh, maybe this speaks to emily's point i do like the way spike his position is like well this is who i am like there's literally you you don't have a leg to stand on and critiquing it like this is the relationship we have he does to the extent that he i do buy that you know the this is where the bloom falls off the road. We're supposed to turn against this relationship um, as like a last straw in this episode, right? Like this is the moment where Spike basically disappears from the season to go on his motorcycle that he takes somehow across the Atlantic, right? Is no, that... not yet. Nope. Oh, no, there's worse. No, yeah, oh, yeah,
2: there's
3: worse. Yes. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Way I mean, worse, yeah. You know what yeah. I
2: really liked about this. And I mean, this is to me, it, this is why I really... Was surprised to find that I felt that the Spike Buffy element was the strength of the episode. Was I always loved that it it really is a mutually abusive ep- uh, situation. It, it's not it's not a situation where one person's being used or one person's being violent or anything like that. I, I actually always find it really shocking when Buffy hits Spike because she does it a lot. At one point, you know, she beats him up and it's, it, it, it it's like and it's used as sort of a joke line. But there's actually a really screwed up energy to the back and forth there. But the scene where she comes in and she says to him, tell me you love me, and the look on his face, is actually very touching. Um, And I, I, I appreciated the moral mixture that they created for him, which just makes the circumstance of her breaking up with him much more interesting. Because you genuinely can see why she's drawn to him beyond, like, we have amazing chemistry. You know, he's funny. He clearly does love her.
0: And he did help them. He, you know... He took care of Dawn when she was gone. Yeah. Like he did. I always, I always, that's always like my big, you know, cause we get the episode. Tara's kind of the only one that was sweet to Buffy yeah. about it, right? Tara's the only one like in Dead Things that I don't love that episode, but I think that end scene between Amber Benson and Sam Rashad Geller is so good. Tara says to her, you know, he does love you. He's done a lot of good while Buffy's freaking out. And she's kind of the only... Like, you know, later we get Xander and Xander finds out and Xander's a total asshole about it. And it's it's funny that Tara's the only character that isn't really judgy of her about it. Everyone else kind of hates it, right? And I don't know. I, I I wish we could have seen them being a little bit more fair to Buffy. Especially, like you said, Emily, it's very clear she's, like, clinically depressed. And, and you know, honestly, when he says to him... It... <laughs> wearing that ridiculous outfit she wore to
2: break up with him which actually oh my god <laughs> how dare she even
3: more I was like what
2: did you put on like what <laughs> is that choice that's crazy but she shows up and you know she basically explains to him but the major thing she says to him is I aside from saying I'm using you you know and this isn't going to work and everything she just says I'm not capable of loving you and honestly that has as much to do with her own state of mind <laughs> as it has to do with being a vampire Mm -hmm. or evil or morally wrong or anything about their relationship is literally like she does not have the capacity to to be loving or devoted or even passionate with another person so i mean i thought it was an interesting and adult thing especially honestly compared to the the xander and anya of it where i was like (laughs) it's like a much more formulaic treatment of the relationship
1: and also i mean the episode so much of the episode's foil is structured around the idea that um the way it ended with riley was bad like the that she never did really articulate where the problems were and um the episode is sort of thinking about what it would be like to have a a second chance at that breakup um like much of what she says to spike at the end kind of could have applied to riley too right so she is kind of getting another kick at the can of like i am not emotionally available in the way you need me to be um and I do like I do like the way this episode sort of does button that up. I mean, when I was a kid, Riley suffers largely because he comes after Angel, right? Like, you get the the intense love affair, and then you get the guy who is dependable and who is kind to you, and that's and not never 230 going to...
3: years older than you, <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Riley and Kennedy?
0: Ugh. I I know. Right <laughs> Riley and Kennedy for me, I put in the same box of No
1: way. How I dare know, you. God. <laughs> <laughs> that is brutal.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're all going to kick me off my and own it, podcast. Yeah, finish
1: your thoughts so we can hate <laughs> you forever for it. <laughs> so
0: So my thoughts for the two of them, the reason I put them in the same box is because I think both of them were the relationship that served a purpose. Mm. And I don't think they were either of them were that character's forever love. But I think narratively, they made sense as the next relationship that was easy that those characters needed to rebound from their like quote unquote forever Romeo and Juliet type love. I mean, not that Tara and Willow were like that, but Angel and Buffy were. And Tara and Willow were so intense and so precious that Willow needed this, like, bratty top to come in and, oh like, turn God. her out, and that's it. <laughs> And, like, I think Buffy, and Buffy and Riley, I think Buffy needed someone boring, who was safe, who, like, you know, and I, I we assume from that episode where they're fucking and the house is, like, you know, haunted because they're fucking, that, like, he also, they also have good sex chemistry, and I feel like both of them serve that purpose to help the characters get over their previous relationships so they could move on I mean, granted, we never got to see it narratively with Willow because Kennedy was in the final season, but that's what I think those characters. So I don't hate those characters only because I think those are the, I wouldn't have loved either of them as a you know oh that's who they end up with forever but i think narratively okay i'm okay with them yeah, having a I, it's rebound
2: interesting i see riley a little bit differently than that because I, and actually i, I do okay. think they had a great sexual relationship but i actually think they were incredibly mismatched in kind of a fascinating way that was not riley's fault And it's sort of Buffy's central issue it's like why is she attracted to vampires why is she why is, why does she have violent forms of sex like How is this connected to emotional pain for her? And to me, the primal scene with Riley is the one where she's happily with him. She sleeps with him. And then she sneaks out in the middle of the night to go stake vampires because she can't really get off from being in this intimate, straightforward, egalitarian relationship. It doesn't work for her. It sort of doesn't work for her emotionally. And it also doesn't work for her sexually, even though he's wonderful in bed and actually really loves her and she's very attracted to him. I feel like there's this missing thing and it drives Riley crazy. And, you know, I don't remember all of the stuff. I remember he goes to other vampires and it was a confusing metaphor that it was like, <laughs> 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 I don't know. But right. but, the, but the crucial part of that about like feeling like he could never really satisfy her. Some people who hate Riley read this as he hates having a strong girlfriend. It never made sense to me. He's totally supportive and really tries to be great. But there's just this little missing element. So it's interesting to me to see him come back. Although it was weird to me that at the end it's like, well, first of all, he's a jerk to her. I mean, he comes back, he's married, he doesn't tell her. He like it's very passive, aggressive, and manipulative for him to hang out with her, sort of encourage her in this pathetic state to feel crushed out on him. And then like then this gets blown in her face. And then at the end she apologizes to him. I don't know. I felt, I felt a little uncomfortable with those Which I did not feel the first time I watched it. Did any of you feel this way, or am I? I just had a different read.
3: I'm with you uh, to at least some degree, like especially because I'm still like very freshly in season five land, where he is just like bending over backwards and growing as rapidly as he can, and doing everything that he can to kind of like be an awesome and understanding boyfriend, and then to see him come back like this and intentionally withhold information that would be very easy to share in a situation where, like, you know, even, surely, even people who think Riley is the world's biggest idiot could give him the benefit of the doubt and being able to see that Buffy is not having a good time right now. Does, yes. does he even know that Joyce has died? Right. It's so weird that that's not addressed.
1: That's right, because he, she was fine. She had like bounced back when he left. Yes. Right.
0: According to him, yeah, she had. They had like, she was like, got like done with cancer oh treatments
2: God. and Are everything. Guys, is that right? Because I had thought that he had left after Joyce's death.
3: No, he leaves no before... before.
1: Yeah. There's a there's a small window where she yeah. Because even
0: when Amy comes back, that's, like, the first thing she says to Buffy. And Amy ends up being a bad guy. But, like, the first thing she says is, like, hey, Buffy, I'm really sorry about your mom.
2: Right, Riley has to be, like, I'm a super spy in a great marriage with this cool lady. I don't have time to ask about your mom. (laughs)
4: Like,
0: what is that? I I think, so, I I put this in my notes that why is Cordelia Chase the only one that since episode one had a cell phone and none of them still have cell phones? (laughs) 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 It's just... All of this would have been solved if Riley could have like sent her a text or like called her and been like, hey, I know we're not on the best terms, but I need to come to town like, you know, rather than like also showing up at her work, which like, I mean, we've all worked those jobs. Like, I worked at a movie theater for three years from like 18 to 19 or 18 to 20 um, where I had to wear like an apron and a hat. And I remember someone coming in and being like, it was like someone from a different job and her being like, oh, is this the job you picked over the gap? And it was like, <laughs> yes, I'm wearing a stupid uniform. Don't look at me. <laughs>
1: how? When did she lose this job? Like, I don't remember. I
0: think it's this episode, I think.
1: She never works there again? This is, oh, yeah. Okay. RIP Double Meat Powers. One I of the
2: sadder things about the episode <laughs> is that it, it, given how depressed she is, when she actually starts hunting for the monster with him, you can see that she perks up just a little bit because now I have a task that I'm good at and she's not. I mean there's not that much to do with this monster like she doesn't really get to show her chops and the one choice she makes to snap the monster's neck ends up not working out but it, you do feel like it's just like you, I really felt so sympathetic to Buffy in this episode in a kind of painful way um I felt and I also thought it was very nice that Willow just tried to take her side in hating his wife it was sweet
0: you know I put that in my notes how like you know Buffy's so sad that and I I do think at the end of the relationship, it made, like, I, I still tear up and I, like, kind of cry a little bit when she runs after Riley because I, I don't, while I don't think they were forever love, I think at the time, she didn't emotionally need to deal with a breakup, right? She had just gone through all that shit with her mom. Her mom was, you know, two episodes away from dying. Uh, I, but I, I understood, like we said in, uh, earlier in the episode, we said how, like, running into your ex, but especially her feeling nostalgic and romanticizing, her relationship with Riley, if anything, just for the fact that her life was better when Riley was there. You know what I mean? Like, not not just the relationship, but, like, her mom was alive. She hadn't died yet. Glory hadn't, you know, made her have to jump off a tower. And the threat of Glory was still, like, vaguely minor back then. And all of the, like, she wasn't have to worry about her bills. And her dad hadn't gone completely MIA. And I, so... I think that makes sense that she would feel nostalgic even if it wasn't the best relationship. And especially at the end uh, that she would especially super depressed be like, Oh, but everything was better when I dated him. Maybe it'll be better again.
2: But also then she sees that he's in what for a little while in her relationship with Riley seemed like what was possible for them, which is a team of two super fighters who are really like doing, you know, like capers together, like, and, and now he's with his wife where they really are like a team of equals who are doing banter and trading off. And that's got to be painful to see because she's never been able to figure out how to have that kind of relationship.
1: I, I think always about that Buffy versus Dracula episode, which is actually... I- Think I'm pretty sure that's the the episode you were referencing where she wakes up to go kill a vampire.
2: I feel like that's a great, great underestimated episode that punctures right at the heart of this sort of. Uh, it actually always reminds me of that episode of uh, the end of Heather's where she's like, "What is that line she says?" Where she's like, "I don't want to deal with like you know bad boys like you or something like that." It's just about romanticizing that kind of. I will swoon yeah. before you know, the Euro dominant, (laughs) you know, hypnotizing. I can't help myself. Like,
1: like, And Riley is positioned as the Jonathan Harker, right? The sort of like the Raoul to like Spike's phantom, right? Like there's this, there's the bad boy that she's attracted. And whereas now Riley is sort of self-actualized and he gets to be in this, uh, I think Xander actually calls them Nick and Nora Fury. Like there's a um, Mr. and Mrs. Smith kind of energy where they're finally equal. I mean, whether or not we, as an audience, like Sam, I think is a different question. But it, they make sense as a couple I, you know, to I was us. Fine with least. her,
2: but I actually like. I, as I keep saying, I liked him less, and it was for small things, like he says "Missus" and "Hottie," and I was. very much more oh, right. annoying <laughs> in that in, in that way. You know, it was interesting. I was I was thinking to myself, what would have made me feel better about Riley in this episode? And I realized it was if the show had been explicit about the fact that he was damaged by their breakup and was deliberately being a little manipulative with her. In the same way that like on sex in the city uh-huh. when Aiden comes back, like Aiden is a dick to Carrie because he is so hurt, and he actually feels like he's had to become a little colder, crueler, and more masculine, both to protect himself because that's what she likes in men. And I think, I think if Riley was seen to be doing this deliberately, I would have thought it was more... I would have been more sympathetic with it. As it was, I really thought he was being very like thoughtless and i don't
1: know and it's clearly something they thought about right because the script has feels like it has to paper over it it feels like it has to pretend there hasn't been time even though we've all (laughs) pointed out there's definitely enough time and i think that would have been a smarter instinct is to have even a half sentence towards their end in that parting speech like when he says none of this touches you like there should be some we would like him more if he acknowledged he was being shitty. Yeah, I agree.
0: But okay, so we've got we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Um, I wanted to point out I actually really like the Anya and Zander oh, yeah, in traffic scene. <laughs> that felt a uh, very like California to me. Um, and I liked when Anya's like, "No, I think we actually died sitting in traffic, and now we're <laughs> in hell." Uh, I really liked that. Um, I also wanted to point out Anthony you usually pick up on this shit. I don't know if you did. She says the gnarls are coming, mm, and gnarl. Yeah is the name of the season seven villain oh, yeah. that tries to eat Willow's skin. Yeah. So I, I wondered if that was like, cause I, I watch everything with the captions on and they don't spell it the same way ah. in the script, but I don't, I mean, uh, right. It's still going to be a reference to the same thing.
1: Is eating potato chips in stress a thing? I didn't, I, this is not an emotional response. I'm, if I were my wedding, I would not have eaten for a week beforehand due to like my own issues. But, um, And why would you bring chips to a bar? Like, they brought their own bag of chips. I was so confused. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I feel like there's a scene missing. Like, they're they're in traffic, and then suddenly we see Xander at the house, and it's like, okay, I guess we're not. I I feel like this B plot got very short shrift. Yeah, and also, we were talking about this beforehand, but like, it, it lands at the exact wrong end place where it's like, our marriage will be, our marriage is not our wedding we don't have to worry about what's the next episode and then,
0: but LOL, I'm going to leave you at the altar. <laughs> like It
1: does seem like this should have ended at a more discordant note. If we're going to set up Xander's vulnerability to what happens also, to him
2: honestly, next. I mean, although I, I, I love both Xander Z- and Anya, <laughs> I <don't know> <laughs> <laughs> very oddly. um, I, I I love them. And even though I feel like this arc is a little misbegotten this season, I think they're interesting characters and it's, Theoretically interesting, but it is a very familiar lesson. The wedding is not the same as the marriage. Like I, mm-hmm. I feel like I've seen that a million times, and so I agree with you. It's like it, it's a funny missed opportunity there. And also, you know, they're in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. People are violently throwing things
4: around outside.
2: Yeah, it's not like people are having a fight. Like somebody's like, throwing furniture.
4: Uh, this is a sub thing, and it's
2: just we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but um, about. I, I, the The violence and abuse of Xander's family is often played like it's played different ways. Sometimes it's played for laughs and sometimes it's played for as a damage thing with him. but it is it is just weirdly pathological. It goes beyond just they're messed up and not loving. Mm-hmm. like this doesn't seem dangerous, but I guess maybe they were fight were they fighting with the demons? Also? yeah, i I,
0: I thought that too cause I was like, the demons could like theoretically murder the Xander's family <laughs> also, so I've never planned a wedding but it feels like that all of this feels very last minute the like plans are doing when they say it's in a week dude
3: so last minute the (laughs) fact that they would i mean i understand that they're young and young people are flexible but like the idea that they would allow their wedding guests to stay in their one bedroom apartment with them (laughs) is bananas no freaking way
2: in their family i just feel like people would nag and not have the money and just be like, you gotta let us do it. Yeah, but it was insane. It's true.
1: Also it just occurs to me, why are so many people teleporting in the night before? (laughs) If you can teleport, just teleport for the wedding. (laughs) Very good point, but
0: I hadn't even thought about that, but yeah, like if you could teleport, why the hell are you coming in early? Like show up five minutes before the wedding and sit down. You're fine. (laughs) Oh my
1: God. Anyway, I, I, I think this plot, I also, this episode also contains, I've talked about this before, but my single least favorite articulation of a plot in Buffy, which is that Willow's magic has now fully become like a chemical dependency, which to me is the weakest version of talking about like a type a personality who craves control now it's just like she is addicted and sam talks about like If magic had this addictive property, Giles would have talked about it very differently in the first five seasons than he did. Mm -hmm. And Sam hears this and she's just like, I also know these two addicts. She tells a story where she knew these two addicts and they're dead. And for some reason, Willow takes this as somehow comforting. I don't know why. Like, I feel like there's a beat to that story that doesn't land, but.
2: I'm sorry, if Sam's understanding of magic is that people who use it die, her recommendation that, that Willow use magic to help them seems a little... like if she yeah you know she's like i heard you're doing some real high magic so it's like five minutes later like i understand that if you do high magic (laughs) you die (laughs)
4: exactly
0: (laughs) well i think it's supposed to be at this point and i think on the show too we're just supposed to assume that willow is like overcome her addiction we're all good everything's fine which like i mean that's as anthony i have said many times this season that that metaphor falls flat for many reasons that's just one of the many right because it's like we spent however many episodes getting to that and then it's just like oh yep no it's over we're done we're good
3: i think that i think that what that why willow like was warmed by that like why that uh worked for her in terms of like sam like kind of inching into her good graces um in spite of of herself um had to do with like with willow like being type a and like wanting control and wanting to be like recapture the power that she kind of like doesn't have access to right now and like so if like sam is kind of uh reflecting that back to her and like well you don't you're not going to do the magic but you are, are you are strong enough to not do the magic so you're still really strong and powerful it's just like
1: manifesting differently i like i like that bet i would prefer that arc if it was an arc of like willow is now went from being the best at magic to being the best at not doing magic Mm -hmm. is a much more like the idea of willow's approach to magic being twice disordered sounds to me like a much more interesting character arc than the one that leads to my least favorite line in all of buffy history which is when willow asks Asks Giles, "Who's your dealer?" Which is
2: like, I every time. Jenny that that is actually <laughs> what's interesting and powerful. But that scene is that she's saying this is a different kind of strength, and I respect you for it. And clearly, she, Buffy, and Willow all have issues about being strong. Um, and it's it's kind of a nice moment. where Willow is like reluctantly, like I guess this, mm-hmm. yeah, chick's over yeah.
0: <laughs> um, also, I wanted to since we're now talking about Sam, I. I think the first time I watched this episode, I really liked Sam. And I, I still appreciate that the writers didn't... Not once did they try to do Buffy versus Sam. Mm-hmm. It's just Buffy's understandably self-conscious, right? Because her life is currently a fucking mess and Sam and Riley seem very much not. But did we like Sam? Because I felt a little... And, uh, you know, with the regards to the actor, I felt maybe... Some of it read a little bit try too hard, but also I would understand Sam's character being like, well, I feel self-conscious because this was my husband's, you know, great love before me, but she's also like, you know, this superhero, so we got to work with her. I couldn't tell if it was, like, the acting or the writing or maybe just me as an asshole reading into it a little too much.
1: You are an asshole, Ian. I often say that to people.
0: (laughs) You love me. Shut up. It it does
3: feel like she is trying too hard and she's, like, self-conscious. And we see, like, a little bit about that in her exchange with Buffy, like, towards the end or, like, you know, in the third act, I guess, of the episode when they're alone together. Um, Yeah. But I think that, like... I think the most unlikable thing about Sam, like, it's it's weird. It's like, it's not like how she's trying or that she's hitting every mark. It's like, it's something else. It's like something, maybe it's because she's like connected to Riley and Riley has come back in this kind of like new form that's like not as sympathetic as the previous iteration of Riley. Or maybe it's like, we all want to be Willow and we all want to hate her and she's making it impossible she's making it impossible for us to hate her with good reason and how dare she
2: yeah i understand what you mean I, it's it's funny i remember liking the character mm-hmm. and i like the actress who plays her, at, at her the first time but when i watched this one i felt like as as i felt with some of the riley dialogue i felt like th- it they weren't letting us acknowledge the fact that like, he's acting weird in her own way. Like, for instance, I, I know it was well intentioned, but I felt like there was something very undermining about being like, oh, well, it's so intimidating. <laughs> I was so like, so right. <laughs> it's like, uh, I'm actually a very vulnerable person. That's a strange thing to say about me because I'm the Slayer. Like, it's just, it's, uh, there were there were things like that that you couldn't, if you'd called Sam on them, she'd be like, I meant that as a compliment and I genuinely am intimidated. But you just couldn't help but feel like,
4: yeah
3: you know what else is freaking weird about Sam is that she's sort of like, <laughs> basically, if there was, like, a wizard and that wizard was <laughs> casting a spell across town that just like possibly um turned Riley into a woman, he would just <laughs> beat Sam.
1: <laughs> well, her character arc is yeah. very simple, like i this is the first time I've ever paid attention to what she actually says. And she says, like she was in the Peace Corps. And then her unit got wiped out and then she started working with them. So she actually has a very similar history as Riley. Like she was involved in military stuff and then only recently has learned about like the existence of the supernatural. Um, So he's, it ended up echoing his biography too in weird ways. Um, Yeah. I don't get a sense of a deep, I do get on the page, a sense of like, the writers certainly want us to like her. They certainly give her some lines that are meant to be clever. I don't know if maybe some of the pace of some of the delivery feels off to me. Mm. But um, also, like her, I, I, like she has plans about how a wedding reception should go, but then we hear she got married in a helicopter. So it's like I don't really understand <laughs> why. <laughs>
2: Helicopters that had yeah. visible yeah. cameras.
1: Itself that's a very me. dated, like oh, what a great idea! Everyone has a camera in their hand. In oh my god, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> that uh, immediately I was like, God, I did go to so many weddings who did that. Did that, and that was a good idea back then. But like, it was. It was a clever. Yeah. more?
4: <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> uh, that's like one of the most yeah. dated things in season six. Like there are a lot of dated seas- things in the show. But I was like, Oof. um. So then, right, uh, Buffy riley makes the plans of them splitting up oh wait so i do like dawn you know we mentioned willow does the best friend thing which i do like but i kind of like that dawn explicitly says to him oh are you gonna leave this time you know like she's like i i appreciate a nice
1: revisit of her abandonment issues right which were just in the previous episode not handled in the best way but i do like it as a character beat for her that like everybody she cares about leaves we did go out of our way to establish she and riley have a relationship that is independent of buffy um he had like kind of a big brother energy that he tried us to pick up here and she's like immediately shuts it down i do like that quite a lot
0: because i that felt in in the world of dawn that felt real to dawn right totally <laughs> so then buffy and sam split up they are patrolling together Buffy gets to hear about all these great things you know Sam says calls her Santa Claus I I felt I don't know how I felt but I felt some kind of way about Buffy being like oh let's split up I need to go fuck Spike dude I, <laughs> I thought we were on a time crunch here
2: <laughs> yeah, but also, she clearly just wanted to get the hell away from Sam because Sam was telling her this. Stuff. She was like, Well, you have to understand, like, Riley, had took a really long time to get over you. And from Buffy's perspective, I think fairly understandably, she's like, This conversation is making me unbelievably <laughs> really emotionally uncomfortable. And terrible. And you may think we're having some kind of candid conversation, but I don't know you. And it's very, it's actually kind of weirdly presumptuous for you to be delivering this information. So she just wants to flee. I actually, it's crazy in terms of their actual (laughs) task, but. I mean, she does. I mean, she does go over there and say who's the doctor, but <laughs> yeah. that's not really what's going on. I love the scene, by the way, where where Spike gets up and gets to show up in front of Riley. I think it's the death scene in the episode. I
1: like his line about "I've seen enough of your dead body." Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Riley Riley spike shippers must have had a we-
0: feel day, uh, Remember
1: those days? Definitely read oh, plenty of boy. fan
0: fiction about that. But continue, Anthony.
1: Oh, I was just it's the same it's kind of the same note Emily already gave. Like it would be nice if Riley had more guile about his intentions and it would similarly be nice if Sam also had a moment of like not just awe at Buffy but a, a like a, a glimpse of some manner, measure of jealousy or some measure of like oh, she's not that impressive or she like that conversation feels more witless than it has to be in the graveyard. Like,
2: yeah. Yeah. Whereas, whereas Riley actually gets to show layer. I mean, I'm, I'm still a little bothered by the way that the Riley story works, but Riley actually gets to show layers once he comes in on them and cut, like sees her with spike because then he gets to be angry and weird and you know it's the whole mm-hmm. thing with spike that's just a strong dynamic but yeah sam never gets to do any of that like she never like it's just a display of i'm a strong person and i'm funny and smart and there's nothing to be you know and you're threatened by me but it's not because i'm bad and she's like a demonstration that riley can have an egalitarian mm-hmm. relationship mm-hmm. <laughs> with a strong woman <laughs> right
0: yeah so, yeah, so then they fuck, and Riley comes in, and I ugh, I feel so bad for Buffy and Spike, yeah. because, right, Buffy's, I feel bad for Buffy on a, like, oh, my, like, ex who has this now perfect life, and this, you know, perfect wife, and is hunting for this monster, sees me, like, wa- literally walks in on them naked together, like, this guy who was their mortal enemy last time he left town, who still... Isn't that Mm. great, right? Like he's still kind of he's still a soulless vampire, and then Spike, right, who looks fantastic. (laughs) Um, Thank you for reminding me uh, of the important fact of that. And then I do feel bad for Spike too, right? Because I I hate his dialogue where he's like, and he's like puffing his chest and doing the machismo bullshit, but. Riley, like Buffy, immediately like punches him after Riley punches him. And it's just like, she's like, he's too stupid to do this. And it's like, oh, geez. Uncalled
2: for. <laughs> it is so unnecessary that she's like bonding with Riley over, like, he couldn't be the doctor. He's an idiot. He's way too disorganized. Like, right.
0: Oh <laughs> so then they go down to his like bedroom area and they find the stupid alien egg things, which again, like, he, he just throws a grenade and then it's fine.
2: By the way, why did she, Why does he not think of throwing a grenade? Because she comes up with it. I'm like, you're a yeah. master spy. <laughs>
0: why were you carrying why those? Why does a
3: grenade <laughs> wipe out an entire level below you but do nothing to the structure <laughs> uh, that you're in?
2: <laughs> I don't know. I've seen a lot of scenes in which that happened. And I have to say, when they were growing up, I was like, just throw something down there. Light them on fire. Because the idea of shooting at right. a bunch of Get little spider yeah. things was and then there's that kind of I'd sort of for, I'd forgotten that there was that silly moment like there's occasional anti-gun yeah. things in the show and there's just that thing where she's like I find that these things are never useful because she just shoots and is a terrible shot and she shoots like a <laughs> yeah. pillowcase and a lamp. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> Throwaway messagey action moment that I found very funny. And then she goes up and and Riley, who's I think supposed to be a master right. of action and uh and firework, doesn't even occur to him that
4: there's <laughs> any other way to fight these things.
3: Well, listen, it's really just not his greatest episode. Like I, uh, it's it's.
1: What was Riley's? How oh, dare you! I'm most. Oh. Good <laughs> <God>. <laughs> I'm most fond of Riley. In the scene where he's hanging the banner. The <laughs> oh, West that is Andrew. a good one. <laughs> that, that's, that's my favorite very favorite
4: good.
2: scene. <laughs> so, Riley was great in the episode with Faith. Riley makes that nice mm-hmm. picnic for her. Oh, yeah, I no. actually am I'm a weirdo defender of the strange scene, one where they just have sex all the time. <laughs> oh, no, all no, 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 oh no, 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 no. Too far. It's <laughs> <laughs> not a good episode. I acknowledge that, but and also he's fantastic and hush also. So Yeah, I, but, I actually,
1: you know. I'm very, I'm always fond of this character. I've never understood the bad boy thing. And it's like, don't you just want an enormous golden retriever? Like, that's all I want. So he's perfect. That is, um,
2: that's so funny that you said that because that's always how I describe Riley. It's like he's a golden retriever that would be with
1: <laughs> Yeah. And
2: turn into a friendly man.
1: You really like mr Peanut emily
0: Book. yes oh. that, that, that's that's such a good comparison someone once said that about me but said that i was a pug that was cursed and turned into a <laughs> oh, <no>.
4: <laughs> <laughs> we're all
2: cursed dogs of one kind or another riley just happened to be a beautiful enormous
1: piece of caramel mm-hmm.
0: anthony it was that was from you right like you you have that tweet that went viral that's like your favorite couple is like a golden retriever i think
1: Yes, I think that the ideal gay relationship is always an anxious soft goth and a, a an enormous golden retriever. The Bert and Ernie dynamic, oh I think, God. is the most important. So um, like a- any golden
0: retrievers <laughs> out there, hit me up because I'm definitely the soft goth. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Buffy is the anxious soft goth. Like she is sort of, she's a creature powered by anxiety who like lurks in the darkness. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I think it would have been Riley is the golden retriever that got away, right? And this episode is sort of designed to sort of suggest his life has sort of a, we we put a button on his life here and he will go be happy. But he gives her this moment of like, the episode clearly wants us to think of like, as bad as it is for Buffy now, there is a way through it. And he sort of delivers that. I mean, the episode looks like it costs nothing. It's kind of a bottle episode, (laughs) but (laughs) but that's what the emotional arc of it is supposed to be, and get her ready for as many times happens in season six. She's prepared for like uh like I'm going to be happy now. That never quite arrives. Every episode seems to set her back to depression level zero. That's
0: that's a that's a big issue I have is because I mean I of course now I can't remember, but there's like ten different times where she is like nope spike we're done like he even makes a joke about it mm-hmm. how he like has it rehearsed mm. and then it's like oh the beginning of the next like uh, oh, everything's terrible again don't worry like the next episode will undo all of the like remote resolve that she had in this episode um but yeah so moving on so we already talked about the bathroom scene which that, his line of saying that makes me mad only because of what happens uh otherwise it would be a very cute I wish we could have gotten a wedding up. I don't know.
2: It would be cute, but why are they both dressed in patterns that are weirdly mismatched (laughs) and oddly fancy? He's wearing, you know, like a lumberjacky shirt. And I don't know what the hell Anya's wearing. She's usually the best person on the show. There's just something so terrible about, about their clothes and the whole situation. I felt like reaching in and restyling it. And Mm. I normally have more aesthetic sense.
0: (laughs) You know, Emily, that's a good point though. I think Anya was often the best dressed in the episodes.
2: Yeah, she had amazing style. I mean, she's had a thousand (laughs) years to develop it. So, actually, I have to say, I'm sorry, I don't know why I'm veering into fashion, but like, but Willow looked great in this episode. She was like, beautiful hair. She was wearing this nice, it was just Buffy's anxiety expresses itself in wearing terrible, filmy, like, (laughs) kind of (laughs) asymmetrical. Tank tops. I don't know what she oh was god. wearing. my but- god, that
3: lavender like peasant top with like the three-quarter That's sleeves right. that were exactly the same length as the top. So like it kind of looked like <laughs> yeah. her pants and her uh, wrists exited the the garment at the exact same height. <laughs> oh, she's literally put on something
2: so obnoxiously to say I'm going to break up with Spike, but I'm going to make him miss me because I'm going to wear something like you know feminine and hot but also something hideous (laughs) and unflattering. Like it's going to be both. It's going to be trying too hard and failing.
0: (laughs) Um, You're all going to be very upset with my favorite outfit when we get there.
4: Wow. Oh no. (laughs)
0: Um, Also, Anthony, I think you had a good uh, episode title, The Golden Retriever That Got Away. I was like, ooh, that's probably going to be the title of this episode. Um, Yeah. So then we get the final, like Riley and because it's all solved. Oh, but wait. I do, I do love Spike's line. I mean, I know you reference it already, Emily, but Spike does say, "Like you knew what I was.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Why are you mad at me?" And it, it's the show. I, I always go back and forth with whether I think the show did this on purpose or whether it was like just the combination of everything. But the show in a beat where Spike just talked about, "Oh, like I'm the man now, Riley," and I didn't like him. It's like, oh, literally two minutes later, I'm feeling genuinely bad for him. Because he, uh, James Marsters, really good at like, he does the puffy chest bullshit, but then immediately like soft face like, hey, you're gonna make me cry. Why are you treating me like this? And I don't know, I, that, I don't know, I think that's like, says a lot about, I, but again, I'm not sure if it's the writing or what, like, I'm not sure, I'm never sure where they're trying to make us land on Spike
2: I, I think I mean I think the writing's good on this, and I think Spike's performance is really good. But because he also says, "Oh, you're talking to me about playing games," like, right? She's totally me And the magic bad. of Spike is
3: that me. he is like the constant in this series. He is never—I mean, he might like puff his chest and he might like try to be like a little tough, but he is the most emotionally intelligent and consistently directly honest character that the show has seen. Like he is mm. kind of like the the north star like he's the person who says what every character needs to hear when they are completely missing what's right in front of them because buffy is like capricorning like crazy or willow (laughs) just assumes the best of everyone or xander is too busy being like defensive and and spiraling to really realize what's going on like spike is always there to say like you blind idiots how could you yeah. possibly, how am I the person who's going to tell you that your friend is in a real bad place right now and you need to help them? Also, oh my God, 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 oh my God. Oh my God, oh my God. Oh my God. Not to <laughs> undercut the important seriousness of the thing that we're discussing, but I also watched this episode with, um, with uh, closed captioning on and was blown away. Previously, we've, we've seen Spike tell Riley that Buffy needs a little monster in her man. But in this episode the subtitles spell it out as the girl just needs a little monster in her comma man. Oh. I said that is exactly what I was about to, yeah I, I saw the same thing and I was like that is absolutely not the <laughs> sentence he was saying. I don't know, is <laughs> the kind of thing Spike might say to Riley at this
0: point in the game. Wow. I missed that, but yeah, I don't think that's what it was intended, right? <laughs>
1: I like I like it though. It's like it's like it's like the comma from wit. It's like punctuation is like overdetermined. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot. Um, I like this idea of Spike as sort of. Uh, I keep thinking about his line where he says, uh, "I'm love's bitch," but at least I'm man mm-hmm. enough to admit it. Like, there's a way his emotional inte- intelligence is not at all connected to his morality in a way that I find fascinating. Like, he understands everyone's emotional states and cannot be brought to understand anyone's ethical yeah. position. <laughs> <And> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Guys, are, I've never thought about it this way, Like, but what both of you are saying seems so smart to me about Spike, and it's so interesting because there's this classical thing where the, where the villain is the only one who tells the truth, but the way that it's combined with Spike with this actually quite passionate mm. and soft emotionality mm-hmm. is very interesting because um, he's not just a cold person delivering mono, monologues of insight the way that villains mm-hmm. often do in movies, where they're like, you know, he actually bringing this whole layers of intimacy and emotionality to it
1: literally the end of this week i'm screening the movie the hunger um, as part of my film screening series and it's uh catherine deneuve susan sarandon and david bowie and i've hadn't really seen it until this month and now that i'm watching it's like oh this is one of the texts that is the origin for spike because david bowie is like completely besotted with catherine deneuve's character in it like deeply passionately in love with her and yet is of like an amoral vampire who's killing all these people. And like there, we are meant to sympathize with this sort of rockabilly character. Um, even as we watch him doing these terrible things, it's like, Oh, that's what, that's what Spike is meant to communicate to us is this idea of someone who is um, intensely aware of their emotional states, intensely empathetic to the people in their lives. And yet has this sociopathic inability to, uh, this ability to prey on others, right? Like the big problem of season six is what does Spike gain when he gains a soul, mm, right? Yeah. Like as usual with this universe, it's like, what does a soul actually mean? And I think the only way to understand Spike is to think of it as like, he wants an ethical compass.
0: Then Riley and Buffy have their scene outside the magic box, which you've already said you don't love Emily. I I genuinely really like this scene. I don't know what about it that I, but like Buffy saying, When he says like, oh, you're still great or whatever, like, oh, you think this wasn't tough on me? And she says, well, I'm sure my incredible patheticness softened the blow for you is such a good line. And again, we've said this a hundred times, but like, we've all felt that, right? Like, oh, you're seeing me at such a shitty point in my life. And like, everything with you seems just great. I like it. And for me, it was the closure that they needed and lol riley says this isn't about who's on top but also <laughs> that like is true right i don't think riley i don't think riley was coming into this being like ha i'm gonna get her i'm married and perfect i i think his like military brain was just like buffy will be good at helping me find this nonsense demon and great and i i, I don't know i I also remember when I watched this, when it aired, really wanting her to tell him that she did run after him. But as Mm -hmm. an adult, I'm like, but, Mm -hmm. but as an adult, I'm like, no, it makes sense that she didn't tell him because then it would like maybe ruin his marriage. Yeah. And I don't, and again, I don't think he was her forever love so it wouldn't have made sense for her to break up their marriage so she could maybe date him for another year and then they break up right
2: yeah i mean first of all you're helping me to, to i mean i remember loving this scene and it's part of the reason that i loved the episode initially is that there was something really wonderful about him coming back and just offering her this gift which is to say like these ups and downs don't matter like your yeah. essential self is incredibly impressive and beautiful And you're going to find your feet. I mean, that's great that he does that. It's true. It's just because when I was watching it this time, I was so struck by how he, I felt like he almost vampirically Uh fed off her feelings for him for about 20 minutes. And so that bothered me enough that it didn't strike me the same way. But actually you are reminding me that like if I want to see it sympathetically, I should just see him as actually being boneheaded and just being action oriented. that's actually kind of helpful.
3: And, and this is like a great example of him doing things the way that he did things through the course of their whole relationship where he could see so much more of her than she could see at any given time. And like was constantly trying to like support her and lift her up. Uh, And and he's doing the same thing here. It's just like, it feels different for us because we don't want to see Buffy low at all. And we certainly don't want to see Riley and his new perfect wife seeing Riley, uh, seeing Buffy laid so low. It just like stings in a particular way where it's uncomfortable for us. But he is trying to help. He's just a little thick in the skull. Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And it it, it, it is, it's it's good, it's good that he is able to offer her this. It's sort of what the whole episode is about.
0: It's like, I feel like that's the whole point of it, right? To get to Buffy having someone that does know her, but isn't involved in her life currently being like, Hey, I still think you're a pretty great person. And I think that, you know, Buffy, this season has been so much about Buffy's misery and depression. And the only person that like, remotely sees her is Spike, who she has this like very toxic relationship with. Mm. So having someone that she feels nostalgic for, that she can romanticize but is like still a little far away, telling her how great she is, I think is definitely something the character needed.
3: By the way, you know, one thing that
2: cracks me up is I remember that when the episode came out, people were so <laughs> against Riley. And again, as I said, I was a long term fan of Riley, but I remember that people were so against Riley that a significant part of the online fanhood was appalled that Sam, I'm sorry, what is his wife's name in it again? that Sam was not a demon. They actually thought that the revelation was going to be that she had some... Oh my God. (laughs) They they were like, what? Like there were literally people who were like, I fully expected in the fourth (laughs) act to be revealed that she was evil wasn't she so obviously evil like it was just like people were so stuck on this premise and it just cracked me up watching it because it was like that is clearly not what they were intending
0: to i i can remember watching this episode in my dorm room freshman year of college and i'm and i remember my roommate being like she's gonna tell him she can't tell him it'll ruin his marriage and like my roommate and i didn't like get along that well but we both watch Buffy and being like it was a first Buffy opinion we both like completely agreed
1: on I actually have never what like what would have been gained like why does she really run after that helicopter Yes, like in in a lot of ways he was a hundred percent right like when he diagnoses it as like well she doesn't really love him he's not wrong and like Xander talks like he works her into this like emotional frenzy and like six her after the helicopter but I think that, mm-hmm. thank God she didn't make it in time. So I'm really glad it didn't come up here again. Um, he left when he should have left. Yes. Like, and, and really the the horrible thing about his ultimatum is like, I, I, obviously it's emotional manipulation is clear, but to build in a way for her to get him back was the mistake. Like he should have just left really. Mm-hmm. I mean, Zander right.
2: was in love with Buffy. And so Riley is like his avatar right.
1: that he used
2: to, fantasize about like not being with Buffy but having a yeah. nice guy be with Buffy like that, I think he was yeah, yeah.
0: he was
1: like the quote-unquote like normal
0: nice guy just like Xander
1: mm-hmm. they both have the weird not military it. echo between them oh, two. Yeah.
0: I, I made hands so you could tell I was sarcastic but I realized no one could see those just in case anyone thought I was serious about <laughs> thinking that way but yeah like that uh, yes I, I do think that's true and I often so Adam Sass who's also one of our co-hosts he Often says Riley is the boyfriend Buffy would forget about existed. And I do think that's I do think that's true. Like, like you said, when he comes to the conclusion she doesn't love me, he's not wrong. Like it sucks and it's yeah. dramatic and sad, but it's
1: not. true. And again, like as I've I've said before, like season this show, the older I get, almost weirdly, the more I understand it. And learning that you don't get to hate Riley for any of that is sort of a way that I track my emotional like yeah he's not a bad guy it's not his fault it's really not his fault the relationship isn't the rising violin strings of the buffy angel relationship it's just that's just how it was and like it's sort of nice to pay it off in this way where they can be it's not chasing after the helicopter it's like you know what it didn't work and i genuinely wish you well it's sort of a nice and not very tv like way to end a relationship
0: especially not buffy (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah and go ahead
3: Oh, I just feel like like the way that Riley leaves it with her and like that they are actually able to get closure in a way that that wasn't that like they didn't get to have like they didn't get to kind of like say goodbye when when he left allows her at the end of the episode to approach Spike from a more emotionally intelligent place and from a more compassionate place and from a more respectful place. I mean she calls him William and she says mm-hmm. she tells him the truth and she doesn't insult him. and she's just like frank and is like, it's not fair actually to either one of us, and it's hurting me and it will eventually hurt you. So I gotta go.
1: I, I realized that I earlier when I was like, this is the last time, right? And it's actually it's actually this scene that makes what happens so horrible a violation, mm. right Because she has been as articulate as possible about why this is the last time, why this can't happen again. Yeah. Um, so, like, in a lot of ways, that's the math this episode is doing. Right. Um, in to the make margins. it, yeah.
0: Yeah. Also, I before we talk more about the zine, I wanted to say I love, love Willow being like, bye, Sam. Oh, my God. Yeah, let's change emails. And then... <laughs> Going to Buffy like what a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a good best friend moment for them because Willow clearly doesn't think that, but she's like, no, I love Buffy. I want her to feel supported.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Uh, but oh, that's so weird. That's how you read it. That like it's fun to sort of toggle between which of those is the genuine emotional exchange to me. (laughs) Like, (laughs) yeah, no, I
0: thought she was like enamored with Sam. I took it as like she genuinely wanted to keep in touch.
1: Did you not? I don't know. It's just it's fun that it doesn't get. Like, when is Willow being genuine in that scene is a fun thing to, like, turn over in my head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>
0: uh, but, yes, uh, I can also remember watching this breakup scene the first time and, like, crying. Because, yeah, when she says William, that's... I It's weird, right? It's so weird to say that, like, her saying William makes it more impactful, but it really does, mm-hmm. right? And I just... James Mars, everyone's doing good work in this scene. I Buffy has her staunch resolve face on because she's determined to be like, "Nope, I'm getting out of this toxic relationship." Spike is clearly like broken, like he's like, "Wait, what? Like this is real this time, and he knows it's real this time, right?" Mm
4: -hmm.
0: I don't know. I I think that scene's really good. It's except for the (laughs) costume.
2: Also, he looked really upset when she says this is hurting me because he really does care for her. Yes, I Um. think
0: he truly loves her. Yes, I do. All right. um, I think we're at the end now. Uh, we'll do favorite outfit first. And since I already revealed, I don't know what it is. I agree with you all that it's ugly, but I love the like weird purple top that oh turns God. her body into a square. I no. don't know. <laughs> uh, Emily, Emily, what's your favorite outfit?
2: My My favorite outfit is actually Willow's. I believe it's a sweater. At first I thought it was a sweater vest. It sort of has brown arms and kind of a I don't know how to describe the pattern on the it. argyle one but, um, yeah the argyle oh. sweater. this is really good colors for her coloring and fit her really well and seems stylish in a way that a lot of their clothes do not and her hair looked terrific and I just thought she looked very put together in this kind of I, I don't know I, she looked stylish and kind of swashbuckling <laughs> in it, it usually nice especially it was easy for her to look nice because Almost every other article of clothing in the entire episode was hideous. <laughs> and it was the one nice looking thing. So I just kept lingering on it and enjoying it. That was my favorite. Uh,
0: Jenny, your favorite outfit?
3: Um, how about it's like not just an outfit. It's also like a habitat, an atmosphere, a vibe, <laughs> a thing. Uh, Spike sitting on top of uh, a tomb in his crypt, reading a book. By candlelight, in uh, a a like black, I think button down shirt that's kind of like open at the chest, primed to be removed.
1: Yes. <laughs> oh, what's he reading? Do we know? I didn't. I didn't. Mm, this.
3: I don't think that like the cover is shown or anything. Yeah, I He's don't think just so. Reading a little book, probably poetry.
1: I'm always intrigued at what texts like what texts people read in things. Like I remember, I one of my earliest like romantic fantasies was angel reading nausea yeah Yeah. oh yeah in the original french
4: (laughs) right
1: um my favorite outfit is buffy's adorable yellow toggle jacket that she works so hard to clean and then uses as a blanket i really love that i do like
0: that that was almost my favorite outfit because i do like like i would wear that jacket now
1: (laughs) hell yeah but also speaking to outfit as vibe riley's all Mm. black with the kevlar and including the scar oh, yeah. is also he is,
0: a he is looking it. right. Ugh. I want
1: that action. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um and favorite scene, Emily?
2: Um let me think. I- I'm sorry, I didn't prepare a favorite scene. I'm trying to think. Actually, my favorite scene is my favorite scene is um I mean, it's pretty much all the scenes between Buffy and Spike. Those are the scenes that I mainly like in the show, but I would say the scene in which she goes to him and says tell me you love me. And he says, I love you. And his whole face opens up and he looks really happy. But of course she's actually a little bit doing it out of needy manipulation and <laughs> on autopilot. So it's both sexy and genuinely sad. She tells him um, to shut up uh-huh. at the end of
1: it. Right.
4: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I just, I, I thought that scene had a, a surprising amount of layers for something that was basically just a, a brief seduction. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I give it all up for james marsters cuz i really feel like he, he's what made that work uh
0: anthony
1: oh my favorite scene is much more shallow <laughs> uh, the scene where they're rappelling down oh, the hell town, yeah and there's a shot now that my tv is big <laughs> enough where you can see that the stunt actor is carrying a mannequin stylized to the play puppy oh that is my <laughs> it's really? in like a seated position in his lap as it goes down the, the <laughs> thing that's my favorite <laughs>
0: <laughs> mm, so um jenny <laughs> uh I,
3: yeah i think i think i gotta go with the the breakup scene because of of how much kind of like growth it's showing us like the cumulative growth and the the respect and like uh, buffy talking to spike like he's an equal for maybe the first time and and like this exchange between them of emotionality the way his face oh god like he's james marsters is like working overtime uh to show us a million things with his face and buffy is just like staying on mission working so hard to stay on mission and it's just like incredible work
0: so i had a i have a tie between that scene and i really like the buffy riley end scene just because it was closure i wanted for the relationship Mm. so those are my two favorite scenes um and now we're gonna rate the episode i give it A B. Uh, Jenny, what do you give it?
3: Oh my gosh. What a great question. Uh, A B seems so fair. Well, yeah. A B seems really fair. Uh, Mostly points deducted for the lavender peasant top. (laughs)
1: Letter grade shaved off for that one. Uh, Anthony? Uh, I always say, like, what was it trying to do and how well did it succeed? And I feel like this is a B as well for me, but like It's doing some emotional labor, but realistically, the only scene that it needs is the breakup scene at the end. I'm all for a standalone episode, but I don't know that it moves enough furniture for me to give it more than that. It's nice to say goodbye to Riley, but mm, I could have had more. So maybe a B. I
0: I literally think of all my anytime I need to grade something, Anthony, I think of yours. You are like, does it accomplish what it need? What it like set out to accomplish? (laughs) Uh, Emily, what's your grade?
2: I, I, I agree with you all. I would give it a B. And part of the reason that I would give it that grade is that it's a it, it it's a stable episode, like it makes sense and it does some things and it has a few moments, but it's actually also not funny enough. Mm.
1: Yes, agreed. It has a lot of first drafty sounding jokes. Yeah. Like it could do a few other like even if the even if the monster plot was more interesting. I don't need that plot to be more interesting, but if it, that was better, I would feel like that would be a thing.
2: Like, it's interesting. There, there's ju- Yeah, there's just a lot of jokes that don't land. There's a lot of opportunities for banter that don't happen. I just feel like, unfortunately, because she's so depressed, that lowers the energy of the whole thing. So even when it succeeds in being sexy or having some message about intimacy, it's not a fully... Like it's not a rich episode. So yeah, to me it's a B also.
0: That's fair. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us. Uh thank you, Anthony, for being my lovely co-host.
1: Always a pleasure.
0: Uh if you all like Slayerfest ninety-eight, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at SlayerFestX98. We are Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, all those places. And if you really like us, you can subscribe to our Patreon, which really helps me with planning everything and getting everything together. And if you want to follow me on social media, I am at IanXCarlos on all platforms. Emily, where can everyone find you and where where can they get your book?
2: Well, I, I, my my book is, um uh, I like to watch, uh, arguing, I couldn't remember the title <laughs> of my own book. <laughs> I like to watch Arguing My Way Through the TV Revolution, available at many bookstores and online and all of the different places. And I write for the New Yorker. And I'm at
0: at Emily No spam. Jenny, where can everyone find you?
3: Oh, wow. Uh, people can find my music at Jenny dot com across all social platforms at Jenny Owen Youngs. And you can hear me talk about uh, petite female protagonists on my podcast, <laughs> uh, Buffering the Vampire Slayer and Veronica Mars Investigations.
0: Anthony, where can everyone
1: find you? uh you can if you're in toronto you can find me at the dumpster raccoon movie screening series and otherwise you can find me at mia koopa m-e-a-k-o-o-p-a on most things
0: cool and thanks for listening we'll see you all next time bye bye